Hello everybody, my name is Christine Gordon and we're here today as part of the Readings Podcast and I'm fortunate enough to be here with the one and only David Nichols. Welcome to Australia, my friend. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. Now today what I want to do is kind of a crash course on you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So David, I think first of all it's important that our listeners know that you and I have quite a lot in common. Oh. Now, you might know this, but we do, actually. <laughs> okay. uh, we're both very similar age, uh, young. That's very yeah. young, David. Yeah. We're both very, very young. Uh, we're both middle children. Uh, we both work in the book industry. Uh, we're both here in Melbourne right now. Uh, I also studied English and drama. And at one stage, I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Uh, but you actually were before you became a famous author. I was on and off. I mean, mainly off for about eight years. Yeah, in my twenties, I I I, I um, did English and drama at university. Then I had I didn't know what to do, and I got this opportunity to go to New York and study at a, a, a drama school there. I got a well, grant. you got you got a scholarship. I got didn't a you? scholarship. Yeah, mm. and I, I I wasn't quite ready to do the British drama schools, and I wasn't sure if it was the thing for me. And uh, I went to America, and it really wasn't the thing for me. It was a terrible <laughs> decision. The first day I turned up, I remember, and they said, "Well, okay, for our first exercise, I want you to um, perform your uh, a song from a musical uh, as if it were a dramatic monologue." Oh, Lord. So there are all these people up going up one after another going, chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim chimney. <laughs> and um, I thought, oh, I really am in the wrong place here. But I stuck with that for a year. And then I came back to London and I started to get work in um, fringe theatres and then some repertory theatres around the country. And then I, uh, uh, my longest stretch of employment was at the National Theatre. And it's I, very impressive. It sounds so, so impressive. Well, it does, but I really, I was there for about four years and I worked with all these extraordinary actors and writers and I barely said a word on stage. I mean, I really <laughs> didn't have in any single production more than four lines. I was understudying amazing roles like Constantine in The Seagull and... Judy Dench was playing our gardener, and I was understudying Constantine. So, in theory, if anything happened to the 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 real actor, I'd have gone on on the main stage of the National Theatre and played Constantine in The Seagull with Judy Dench. But nothing ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so instead I was a Russian peasant and I just <laughs> stood in the shadows every night for, for nine months and nodded at Judy Dench and ran off and that was my part. So I, I think that you would have done it very well, though. I think Constantine and the Seagull was the one part that I, I'd have been okay. Everything else, I was pretty hammy and big. I was always told, even in non-speaking roles, to do less. Just bring it down, bring it down. <laughs> less is more. Less is more. So I was very I was very enthusiastic and I really loved it. And I loved being part of that company. But I, I, um, I didn't really... I used to watch these actors every night and think, well, I don't know what they're doing, but I can't do that. Yeah. And so I started to, over the course of those eight years, sort of disentangle myself and find something else to do. Just very quickly before we move on from that particular memory, can you tell me what song did you sing as a monologue? What song did well, you do as a monologue? I'm not a great singer. So I used to do uh, Mac the Knife because you can speak <laughs> it anyway. You don't need to sing it. <laughs> my father, my father loves that song. He loves to bring well, that out after a couple of red wines. This was a very Brechtian <laughs> rendition of Mac the Knife. And uh, uh, yes, it, it, uh, musical theatre really was my strong point. You know, they have this thing being a triple threat and I was 
you know, I was barely a threat. I couldn't really sing or dance and I could just about act in a very narrow range of roles. But I was, um, uh, people used to come and see me and things and, and friends would always say afterwards, well, you know, well done. And have you ever thought about writing? And so gradually I, I, I started reading scripts for theatres. That was the first step. I started reading um, unsolicited scripts for the literary department and started to think, well, this is more interesting to me. I have a better understanding of what's going on here. And so that's the move I made. Have you got author written on your passport? You know, I, I've just got a new passport. I don't know if I have. I don't think well, you what have is to your put profession a profession. You don't have do to put I, your... I don't think you do. Oh. Um, no, so maybe not now. Maybe not. Did uh, they ask you why you were coming to Australia? They did. And I, I swear <laughs> it took me longer to fill in the visa application than it did to write the last novel. It's incredibly, <laughs> it's incredibly detailed. And um, uh, yeah, that was a, a daunting task. But um, And then, of course, no one looked at it when I arrived. Uh, but um, no, I don't know. I don't think it says that. Maybe I'll just go home now and write it in. Yeah, write it in. Write it in. <laughs> So you're sort of one of these people that actually are a triple threat in a sense, though, even though you have mocked yourself, David Nichols, because you are an author, you're a screenplay writer and you're a critique. So which of these, the screenwriting came first yeah. and it was something that you were very good at, something that you could see? Is that is that what um, it was like for you that you could block out these sort of scripts in terms of looking at images, you know, like you could yeah, see I, the drama unfolding. I Is that who you are? Are you one of those sort of people? I think the two things for me have always gone hand in hand in that I used to, you know, read books in front of the television and I, I, I was one of those <laughs> kids who put the TV on as soon as they came in from school and I watched everything and uh and also read as much as i could and 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 always read with the tv on and and uh just i think i've always loved um that kind of storytelling and and when i started to read scripts i i, I think i had a sense of you know when a scene was going on too long or how a script might be improved if you change the order or why it was better to withhold a certain piece of information yeah. it isn't something that you're sort of trained but but if you are able to work with writers and say, have you thought about this or perhaps this might work and do it in a diplomatic, creative way, um, that for me anyway was a leg up into writing. I was very intimidated at the idea of showing someone my work and certainly I never really thought that I'd ever write fiction. But um, the, the jump from script editing from planning and structuring a story to script writing didn't seem quite so intimidating. And I also was lucky enough to have a friend who encouraged me to work on an adaptation of a Sam Shepard play, mm. a play called Simpatico, that he wanted to turn into a film. Mm. Uh, this was a friend who was a very successful theatre director. And so we sat down week after week in our own time and and worked it out ourselves. You know, when does the scene go on too long? Um, how can you uh, uh, change um, the setting of a scene without, while still keeping true to its essence? You know, how do you, how can you restructure a play into a movie and give it a three-act structure? So through trial and error, mainly error, um, in our own time, we, we, we sort of finally plucked up enough courage to show a script to someone. And I think that's the case with a lot of screenwriters. They they watch and watch and watch and watch and sort of absorb a, um, a sense of structure, a, a sense, a, a, an instinctive sense of how a story might be told. It certainly comes across in your writing, actually, that you do have a knack for timing. Uh, so author of... 
uh, started for 10 one day. Uh, best selling, so many copies sold, 700,000 or something insane like that. Us, which of course was long listed for the Booker Prize. Yeah. Uh, you won the National Book Awards in 2014. And your latest novel, Sweet Sorrow, uh, we'll get to, I promise. Uh, you've, when you talk about the screenwriting, you have written such extraordinary, uh, I don't know, I, I want to say sort of soundtracks to my life. I'm interested in this image of you reading books in front of the TV because when I watched so religiously Cold Feet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was perhaps part of my sort of backdrop to my sort of, of 30s and there I yeah. was. What an incredible piece of, of theatre, really, and long-lasting. Yeah, I mean, I have to be very careful about that because I only wrote four episodes and it's very much Mike Bullen's show and he did an amazing job creating those characters. I was lucky enough to come onto the show on its third series when it was really hitting its when stride. When we were absolutely all obsessed yeah, with it across yeah, the world. It really blew up and, and that was my... Um, TV screenwriting apprenticeship, really. I, and again, it's, it was quite hair-raising to sit in a room with those actors and see them leafing through the script and reading their scenes and looking for signs of approval. Because they're I, such great English actors. Uh, yeah. And you... Did you know them beforehand? Uh, I, I knew Jimmy a little bit <laughs> from my acting days. We had yeah. lots of mutual friends, but no, I didn't. And I was I was really frightened. I mean, yeah. it, uh, because I was sort of, you know, the new kid on that show. Everyone had been had already made fourteen episodes, yeah, and had, suddenly yeah. I was trying to write in that style. And um, TV drama often has quite a quite a not a not a very. Um, restrictive style but you do have the main story and then the subplot and then the third plot which often reflects the main story in a comic way and you have to time the the, the how you jump from one to the other and you have to have a little story um hook just before the ad break so that's every sort of 12 to 15 minutes you know there's quite a that the approach to it is quite architectural you have to work and work like and work that. on your synopsis before you're allowed to write the fun stuff, the jokes and the dialogue. And that was a, a great training for me. Um, and I, I learned so much from that. Uh, and I suppose in a way, when I, start, when I write, started writing fiction, I couldn't quite shake off that approach. You know, I, I did know everything that was going to happen in the novel before I started writing because I thought that's how you wrote a novel. Of course, of course. So uh, Patrick Melrose, that, yeah. that extraordinary series... Are you are you quite good friends with Benedict now? Are you quite um, are you quite close? Is well, he coming for dinner quite soon? No, we don't uh, <laughs> socialize very much. But I really love Benedict, and we, uh, we knew Amazing. each other from um, the my first novel was turned into a film. Yep, and Benedict has quite a small part in that. Yeah. Um, it was an amazing cast, James McAvoy and Rebecca Incredible. Hall and James Corden and Benedict. Who and, are you? I know, I mean, well, look. they were all, for many of them, it was their first film. It was certainly Benedict's, one of Benedict's first films. And I think, you know, he's very funny in that film. And we always thought he, we knew he'd be a great comic actor. But then 15 years later to be working on Patrick Melrose oh. was, was great. And, he was amazing in it. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And he really went for it. He'd always said that there were two roles he wanted to play. He wanted to play Hamlet and he wanted to play Patrick Melrose and um, he loved the books as much as I did and um, we had a good time. I'm, I'm, I'm quite um, wary around actors though. I, I mean, I don't, I haven't quite shaken off this idea that you're 
talking to someone that you've seen on the screen. I'm not blasé about it at all. I'm a little bit tongue-tied around them. And um, there's always... um, I'm not one of those uh, screenwriters who can go on set and kind of kick around ideas. And I I find it quite nerve wracking. I've interviewed Um, some people that have said that when their books have been turned into films and uh, they've, they've put some sort of deed in the contract, which says, yes, yes, you can do this, this and this with my novel. You can turn this phrase, you can set it there, but I must be in it at some point. Oh, yeah. Have, have you in a crowd scene somewhere? Um, I am. I am a little. I'm a. Uh, I walk um, <laughs> behind someone in one day. I walk down some <laughs> stairs. If you watch it and you think, why is that man walking down stairs like that? <laughs> why can't he use stairs? Uh, that's me. And I, I, I think used you would to, be very good. I used to. Well, when I was working on Cold Feet, I used to r- write a lot of cameos for yeah. myself, and I had, I think, in one episode, one quite substantial scene. But they always had to cut them because uh because i was doing too much can you do less please uh so i i haven't got a i'm in one i have one noticeable part in one film there's a stephen frears film called the deal which is about british politics and probably uh isn't seen very much outside britain but i have uh one line in that i have to come on and say uh, ready when you are mr mandelson and that's it that's my film you sounded very good when you said that (laughs) You would have stolen the scene. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. even in character, so in the film, <laughs> it's much, it's much, much better. It's more. Yeah, it's more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you some very quick questions okay. before we get on to your new novel. Uh, just one one word answers is okay. grand. Do you write in the morning or the afternoon? Morning. Mm-hmm. Do you write in a public place or at home? Well, neither. An office. I have a little office I go to. Mm. Private. Yeah. I think private. That's, private. That's a private uh, let's say place, private. Yeah. Humour or pain, which is the hardest to write? Um, for me, pain. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, I think we just learnt quite a lot about David just then, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Are the characters you write based on people you meet or your family? Neither. Mm, good. Fuel, says everybody who knows you. <laughs> uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, Screenplay or novel? At the moment, novel, mm. yeah. Mm. Red wine or white wine? Red wine. Mm-hmm. Scotch or port? Oh, I'd have a hard time with both. I'd have another glass of red wine, I think. Uh, but I'd have to say port. Sorry. Grudgingly. Mm, okay. <laughs> bookshop events or festivals? Um, bookshop events. I'm not just saying that. Well, <laughs> you know what? Even if you were, I'm going to take it. <laughs> when I was I, when I was acting, I I worked in a bookshop. I mean, oh, that was my oh. kind of intermediate job. I used to work in a branch of Waterstones in Notting Hill and look after the children's section. So I have a kind of inbuilt loyalty to bookshops. Good, good. You yeah. understand the shelving systems. Yeah. Uh, romantic or literal? Oh, uh, I guess romantic. I think, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so too. Given yeah. your writing. So let's talk about Sweet Sorrow. Yeah. Perhaps you can give the listeners, you know, your party game, what, how you would describe it, and then we can talk a little bit about why you are so obsessed with Shakespeare. Okay. Well, it's a classic coming-of-age story. It's a story of first love set in 1997 over the course of one summer. Uh, it's about a kid called Charlie Lewis who is 
screwed up his exams. Uh, his family is breaking up. He doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. He's in quite a bad place. Uh, and the summer is stretching ahead of him. He doesn't know what to do. And on one of his aimless bike rides, he bumps into a girl called Fran and uh, is very keen to see her again. But she is performing in an amateur production of Romeo and Juliet. And he realizes to his horror that the only way he's going to see her is if he signs up to the production. And he hates the idea of Shakespeare. He hates the idea of being in a play. He thinks it's all ridiculous and pretentious and it's not for him. But that's what Fran is doing with her summer. And so he signs up and the novel tells the story of what happens that summer, um, falling in love friendship, um, the breakup of the family, the difficulty of parent-child relationships, uh, attitudes to culture and class, um, memory. The whole novel is told in uh, an extended flashback from the point of view of the present day. And um, yes, it's a, it's a bittersweet, melancholy, Shakespearean, tragic comedy. It is absolutely such an ode to so many of Shakespeare's words, isn't it, I would have thought, that you have somehow incorporated all of what makes Shakespeare so relevant today in this kind of um, setting of a very contemporary teenage life. The main character falls in love in the end with the words of Shakespeare. Yeah. He was 17. Were you 17 when you fell in love with Shakespeare? I was a little younger and a little less resistant. I ah. mean, I, I, I remember, I think at 13 or 14, the teacher wheeling in the television and putting on a videotape and everyone thinking great we don't have to do any work and it was a it was a tv production of macbeth with ian mckellen and judy ah, dench what? and it's a brilliant very close-up production i think i remember it in black and white i'm not sure if it is in black and white but it was very intense and and um violent and frightening and I, I, at that stage, I was just starting to love a lot of American cinema, you know, 1970s American cinema, which also seemed to have that kind of, you know, spitting, yeah. biting, so much tearful, fury. yeah, and and it seemed to make sense to me. And I, 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 I didn't go to the theatre. I didn't particularly like the theatre. Even now, I'm not a huge theatre goer. But I, I uh, saw a lot of Shakespeare on film: the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet, and the Polanski Macbeth, and that McKellen. Dench production Macbeth and they made a huge impact on me and when I went to university I was in various productions um always loved studying the plays um they always uh, have meant a great deal to me and I suppose um I've always kind of drawn on the, the kind of romantic spirit of the plays I find the romantic the romantic comedies to be very affecting very intriguing complicated I think so too. but I always think that they're also uh, they have an understanding of some sort of class system or some sort of different different approaches to life and that's yeah. what you've brought in with Sweet Sorrow, that here are these two young people that have completely different agendas. Yeah. But somehow they're brought together. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the power of Shakespeare but it's something that you play with often in your novels that you bring together people from different hemispheres almost and and you bring them together and you say let's see what happens yeah it seems to me that in some ways we're going to look back on some of your work and it's going to have the same sort of impact as Shakespeare did because there you are battling with class battling with humor battling with families the sweet sorrow book is something I 
imagine could be used even in schools to bring in a bit of a love of Shakespeare that seems to come and go. Would you imagine that? Well, I'd love that. And it's interesting that that seems to have happened on Twitter a little bit. I get a ah, lot of ah. communication from teachers who saying that the, you know, the, the, the interpretation, the production in the book isn't great. Do you know what? These people <laughs> are a little bit crazy. The people that are running the theatre productions, they're, yeah, they're it's a, a little nutty. Pretentious. I've got to say, they're a little nutty. <laughs> yeah. A little English nutty too. They are, yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't last here in Australia, I'm afraid. No. We would knock them down. <laughs> but they do have, I suppose, that the, 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 the actual business of putting on the play does form these bonds between all these characters from different backgrounds. And there's also a section in the middle, which I always thought of as the kind of Pygmalion section, where Fran sort of takes Charlie by the hand and talks him through the part and, and talks about how Shakespeare isn't something you translate. It's just a heightened form of, of our own language and that if you don't understand a particular word or a particular image, it doesn't matter that, that there's a kind of music to it that will carry you along. And, um, and a few teachers you know, on social media have said that this, is, that this is a useful approach. And I also, a big help writing the book was I went to see a lot of productions of Romeo and Juliet and talked to a lot of Juliets. And hearing them <laughs> talk about the role was really, really useful. Yeah. Um, and, and very inspiring as well, yeah. uh, the way Juliet kind of drives the play in a way that I hadn't necessarily remembered from, from, from seeing it in the past. You know, she's a much more interesting character, I think, than Romeo, she's, especially in the second half of the play. She has all the best speeches, all the best images, all the best ideas, and she really powers the story forward. And um, there's something of that in the play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in the novel, rather. Charlie isn't playing Romeo. Originally, I thought that maybe that would be the story, that he would get cast in the lead role and they'd fall in love that way. In fact, he's playing Benvolio, one of those more sort of wishy-washy roles, roles that don't necessarily have an obvious characteristic when you read them on the page, though they can be performed essential. very well. But are essential. Mm. But much more of a, uh, an observer. And that's Charlie's role, both in the novel and in the play, though he you know, turns into a, you know, inverted commas Romeo in the, in the actual real life um, that surrounds the production. It was very nice to read uh, a novel that was kind, okay, David. Good. That, that, good. Uh, that was a relief to me to yeah. have uh, something to take to bed that was sort of kind and gentle and something that I could understand. But I guess that's been the success of all of your novels. Um, I think if they all share a theme, it's uh, flawed characters trying to be better. Um, yeah. You know, Dexter in one day is a, is a terrible person in all kinds of ways, but you know, through his relationship with Emma, and you know, they both feed off each other and make each other into better people. Um, Douglas in Us starts the novel as a terribly tense, neurotic, rather controlling <laughs> figure, and he... He is different by the end. And, yeah. and um, you know, I don't want to be sentimental or idealistic about the characters. Often they are very flawed and they say and do unsympathetic things, but they're all motivated by a sincere desire to, to be better. There's a recurring line in, in Sweet Sorrow. Uh, it's used originally rather pretentiously by the movement director in the production that she's going to teach them uh, to move differently through the world. And uh, that's what Charlie wants, and that's what he sort of learns through the course of the story. Oh, I think you're a great humanitarian. Thank you. Okay, let me finish off by some other quick fires, yeah. because we're running out of time. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. 
Favourite word, David? Uh, bittersweet or humorous? Well, I'm going to go for humorous because bittersweet, I'm trying to... Are you trying to, <laughs> you, you try to walk away from it, aren't you? It's the word that gets applied <laughs> most often. I'm, I need to find a dictionary with a, with a whole <laughs> page of synonyms for bittersweet. So humorous, I'm going to plump for. <laughs> angst or wry? Oh, angst. Mm, yeah. I like it too. It's got a good <laughs> yes, sound, don't absolutely. you think? Yeah, yeah. Misfortune or malpractice? Um, misfortune, I think. Yeah, I, I like the notion of fate and things going ever so slightly wrong in ways that the characters can't control. So misfortune. Mm, I like that too. Kind or sweet? Oh, definitely kind. Yeah, I try and avoid the saccharine. I, I instinctively want, if I think something is too sentimental or corny, I'll, I, I will try and find a way to give a little sourness to it, I suppose. Um, but kindness, you do that very think, well in this last novel, I've got to say. Thank you. I mean, I, I, I'm, that party I, scene I, I'm just thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there always needs to be a little bit of, uh, I was going to say bittersweet, but there needs to be a little sharpness in there as well, I think, to make I agree. it more to make it, Yeah. yeah. And for my very final questions, uh, Australia or England? Oh, well, uh, that's moment. a hard one. At um, the moment. At the moment, moment, I'm loving being in Australia. <laughs> and England is a very strange place at the moment. It it's is. not a happy place. It's full of rancor and division. And, uh, and so it's nice to have a little break from that. A heartbreaks for England, actually, here. Yeah, no, it's tough. It's Yorkshire or Brighton? Yorkshire. I do mm. like the countryside. Mm. Brighton's a great city, but I, I, if I could be anywhere, it would be somewhere northern, yeah, mm. okay. in, in England. Yes, yeah. I, I, I do love it up there. And for the very final question, and, and this is, you know, go, go cautiously into this answer, David, okay. cautiously. Uh, Melbourne or Sydney? Well, I haven't been to Sydney yet. Mm. There's the answer, my friends. <laughs> Let's end it there. <laughs> David Nichols, this has been such a privilege to talk to you. and, and Thank you. I, I've enjoyed it. I'm so grateful to you and, and welcome to Melbourne. I, I think that you're going to have such a lovely time here. And uh, I do encourage all of our listeners to go out and not only watch uh, some of your great, great work, but also read some of your great work, including your last novel, Sweet Sorrow. And, of course, my advice, and this is in direct contrast to you, David, is... Uh, TV off while you read. Oh, definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you very much. 